Hello, I'm Craig. I'm Dawn. And, and this, this is, is Naked, Naked Conversations. Conversations. <laughs> Today, uh, I guess we start season two. Um, yeah, we've taken a break for a while. And uh, we're back and just talking it's, about what's been going on. It's the end of 2023. Mm-hmm. So we will see you again in 2024, which it's, sounds really crazy. 2024. Oh, it's like we're living in the future. Yes. Mm. We or, should be in space. We should be. Are we in? We're, we're in space right now. We're in space right now. We can be wherever we want to be because yes. this is a podcast. We're naked in space. Naked in space. Naked in space. <gasps> That's going to be so much fun. Space. We should be naked and afraid, too. Of course. N- no. I don't naked afraid. and afraid no. in space. Naked and comfortable. Naked and very comfortable in space. In space. In the future. <laughs> All right, guys. See ya. Bye. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Hi. <laughs> uh, it's been a little bit. It's it has been a few been. months. Yeah. Yeah. So we went to the Woods' Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And John's kind of memorial thing this weekend in Franklin, John mm. Strickland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, went to the studio. And our podcast was brought up. Yeah. We realized we hadn't done one in quite a while. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it has been a busy summer, fall, life yeah. existence. It has. It has been. It has been. It has been. <laughs> but what have you been doing? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, one of the reasons I, a lot of my time has been occupied with uh, finishing the novel. I actually Finally. restarted it because uh, I realized about 180 pages in that the whole first half was wrong. <laughs> so, but it, wrong. It, it was, it was wrong. Um for what I wanted to do, and so when I went, but when I went back to restart it, it really just kind of opened up. Like it was, uh, it was, it's been pretty. I want. I don't want to say easy, but it's been a lot easier. It just it felt like effortless. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. So, so I've been telling people that he finished his novel. Yes. Which he was not prepared for me to do. Yeah. Um. But. But it's good. I mean, I I uh, I feel good about it. Um. I've. I've got a hard copy I'm going through. There's a lot of red ink. I've got to make some changes, just line edits, but it's the right version, I think. I think it does what I want it to do, and um, and I'll have a few people read it in the next week or so and give me some feedback, and then uh, and then we'll see what happens. But, yeah, it feels good it's amazing. to have done it. So He's yeah. been recording it for me. Yeah. So, because... And, of course, you've been busy getting ready to open up new floors and working with the uh, juvenile population up in South, South Bend. Bend. Yeah. And uh, and getting ready to kind of wrap things up there and move back home in February, <laughs> which I'm excited about. Yeah. 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 I mean, we'll see. It's, it's so odd that, that, you know, the plans to move back and start things, you know, figure out what I'm going to be doing from home. In the midst of the juvenile detention center, things opening up and other things opening up up there. But then there's also... So to explain, my company sent me to the juvenile detention center to see kids because they don't have care there for psychiatric issues. Mm. It's interesting to me how in our society to really get ahead of of the issues is to actually work with our children and yet 
they don't have care for the most vulnerable of our kids that are going to grow up to be adults too. Well, I mean, I think there's, we're in, I don't know. I mean, hopefully we're at the, at the end of a cultural shift where, you know, we're starting to see people uh, who, who do bad things, not as bad people, but as people who need help. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, mental, mental illness is probably a driver for a huge percentage of the population of people who are incarcerated. And that includes kids too, probably especially kids. Right. I mean, kids don't, I don't know. I mean, you don't do things in a vacuum, right? especially kids. I mean, Mm -hmm. they, they act out because their circumstances are less right. than ideal, right? And well, their circumstances many of the times foster their mental illness and addiction. Right. You know, so many of my patients that I have that are adults used for the first time, use needles for the first time with their parents when they were 12, 13, <clears throat> 14 years old. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, and you can see these kids when I go to the detention center. And you start explaining their brain to them and how their brain works and the animal brain and, and their survival survival brain and how you can rewire the brain, then their eyes will light up. And, I mean, that's when you can start teaching them about mental health and how mm-hmm. they're not stuck in a cycle and they can relearn how to do things right. and there is hope. They're not bad people, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, a, it's a brain disorder that can be fixed. Right. So rather than trying to punish our way out of, mm-hmm. you know, things that we don't and like. And feeling more do. hopeless, right? right. Yeah. Because it's, you know, <clears throat> they don't know how to do it any more than the adults know how to do it if they don't get the tools to do right. it. And I have to say, I, I'm so just incredibly grateful for the opportunity to do it. The fact that, you know, ICFR sees the need to go further upstream to, you know. Yeah. I I always say I feel like I'm being paid well to be on the mission field and and actually be doing something to fix the problem and get ahead of the problem and and create a shift in society you know to live out my mission and yeah that's it's a beautiful thing so when you sit down with these some of these kids I mean mm-hmm. do you get the sense that <laughs> you're one of the few people in their life telling them that they're worthwhile or that they have, you know what I mean? That yeah, and there's, I mean, there's been a couple of times where parents will even come in to join and you can see that the parents, you know, need services as well. Right. And the staff are so grateful that I'm there. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, and that's lovely too. I mean, one of the staff members said, you know, this is a dream come true for us that we have someone providing these kids with services because they, they don't have people to provide services for the kids in the detention centers. I mean, they're overwhelmed by the system as well. Yeah. And by maybe people, maybe just an unwillingness to provide those type of services. I don't know. It feels like, it feels like, like any other system, right? Systems are overwhelmed. Systems are fragmented and there's a lack of mental health services in general. Right. So it's, you know, it's just, I think it's a, well, and even look at when I tried to do, um, when I tried to do primary care and stepped into that, you know, if you look at the ACEs studies and we know that chronic illnesses 
the majority of the time are caused by mental health illnesses, and yet even that system fails to bring to be able to bring mental health services into primary care because that system is so overwhelmed. Right. So, you know, there would have to be a complete shift in how we approach everything, but we do what we can. But yeah, I mean, you can tell, you can tell everyone is grateful and you can tell that there's a lot of red tape. And again, that's why I'm grateful that, that my company just says, just, you know, and as always said, just do it, just go in, take care of the patients. We'll worry about all that on the other end. And that's been what's nice about more of a private owned company versus the big, the big systems, you know, the big, not to name names, but the big, the big systems that are bureaucracies and that's the wrong word probably, but you know, the bigger health systems that are red tape and, you know, almost paralyzed, you know, the people who have a passion for things are almost paralyzed to do it because they're worried about yeah liability, liability and, and crossing the, a T and dotting an I and pissing somebody off. And, right. you know, the bottom line for us is just take care of the patient, you know, do yeah. what it takes to take care of the patient. And even then, sometimes taking care of the patient means you have to, you know, take a hard stance with the patient so that that way they take responsibility for their actions but yeah it's it's an interesting mix but you can tell like you know it's it's like having the conversation with d and kim yesterday i mean d has stepped into the juvenile detention centers with her passion for healing and that's been her passion for a few years now and that's really where it counts i mean getting ahead of it going into these kids lives the most vulnerable of the youngest sure right their brains are still the most neuroplastic or whatever right i mean this is when you can get ahead of it i mean these are the kids that potentially will be the adults that can destroy countless lives right i mean these are the the kids that are diagnosed with oppositional defiance disorder that can be your antisocial personality disorders that can be mass murderers and you can get ahead of it i mean this is the time that you can actually get ahead of all that destruction i mean if if at any point you can stop that cycle this is it and you know all the think of all the damage one of those lives can potentially do or not mm. if you can get ahead of it right so that that's where it counts. It's just an incredible, and you can see it. You can see it in their eyes. You can see how quickly because when when you're working with adults, they put up so many walls and so many defenses, and it takes longer to break through to where you can get the eye contact and the you know the click. And it's like, okay, I see what you're saying. All right, you have my attention. Right. With the kids, you can get it so much quicker. Right. And you, where they, you know, they'll be fidgeting and doing weird stuff and trying to make it very clear that they're, they're just there to see how hard they can make it on you. Mm. And you can hit them with just the right angle. You know, you can get their attention so much quicker and they'll let down their guard so much faster because they've not honed that skill as long and they're more open to that Mm. education piece. Yeah. 
to know that they can have a better life. Right. <clears throat> and they're more open to, I mean, even the one, uh, you know, I asked him, I said, what do you do when you go to bed? Because he couldn't sleep. He said, I pray. Okay, you're praying. So I explained to him the different part areas of the brain, depending on how you're praying, the different areas of the brain that you're, that you're enacting or that you're engaging. And we practice a certain type of prayer that actually will help calm his brain as opposed to the panic prayer you know right and and prayer and meditation and but you know he was more open to that and practiced it yeah yeah panic prayer yeah it was a panic more of a panic you know more of a panic prayer that sounds like it could be a good band name panic prayer panic prayer the panic prayers yeah no like kidding. a punk yeah punk christian panic prayer panic prayer okay so enough about me yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm talking a lot. I guess this is about us, though, uh-huh, in yeah, a way. So, yeah, new year. We're going into a new year. Gratitude. Yes. Mm-hmm. Gratitude. I'm very grateful. Gratitude. I'm very grateful. Mm, me too. Grateful for you. It's been a busy year, man. It has. It's gone quick, too. Let's see. You went to a psych unit. Yes. <laughs> that was this year, wasn't it? <laughs> that was this year. I know. Gosh. Yeah, that was in May. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, you know, I feel good. I still feel good. Um, it helps. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten into a mode now with writing. I mean, I do it every night when I get home. At some point, I mean, even it's kind of nice because even if I just have five or ten minutes, I can still I can sit down and pound out a paragraph or something, and it still feels good. You know, so I'm I'm hoping that you know once I finish, um, <clears throat> finish the edits and finish the little epilogue that I've got for it, uh, which should be in the next couple of days, then uh, I'll send it off to a few trusted friends to read, and I'll I think I'm going to start the next one. Right, I'm not going to just stop. Yeah, I'm going to work on the next the next idea. So I Good think for you. it's yeah. I think it feels feels good. I'm in a good mode as far as that. Creative creatively. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That helps. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty <laughs> incredible. Oh. Your book. Oh. Well that's nice. That's nice. But you have to think that so No, I don't. I truly don't have to think that. Yeah, but you I mean, even if you didn't, you would want to encourage me. Right, you would want to make me feel good about it because it, you can see that it's. I don't know if you were a crap writer, I'd probably be like, I probably wouldn't have encouraged it from the beginning. But I told you from the beginning, when Tony and Lori were swiping on Bumble, and then Tony wrote that thing for you know to do the dating thing where you, you yeah. know the responses, and then you responded. You were the only one who actually had half a brain to respond with something creative. Mm, you know what I heard there. I heard that I have half a brain. <laughs> you know what I heard? Is Dawn thinks not many men have half a brain. <laughs> yeah, okay. But yeah, you Fair were enough. creative and you like, you know, and then you just, you won me over by just writing and yeah. being poetic. And yeah. Yeah, you're a great writer. You're very creative. You're very... Yeah. Yeah. Sharp. No, I'm and I feel I feel good about about it. So. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. good. Kids are doing well. Mhm. 
Yeah, Zamira's still killing it. Yeah, that's cool. The school just finished her third semester at FC, and uh, and I think she got a B this semester instead of <laughs> instead of all A's. And I think that's good oh, for. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, I it remember is when I got my first B in yeah. college, and my professor being like, "I was going to drop out. <laughs> I was going to drop out," and my professor was like, "Don, a B would be good for you." You need to get a B. It's wow. going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I remember that was devastating. Is she okay? Uh, she is. She said it was actually a relief. It kind of takes the pressure off. And and it's funny because, uh, I mean, she she kind of crushed the final in that class. She got 195 out of 200 on her final. Wow. But yeah. it's still going to leave her with an 89%. And Are we allowed to say that on our podcast? What? That her grades. Oh, I don't know. I oh, I don't think yeah. she'll care. Okay, she, she, I won't listen to it. No, probably not. Okay, <laughs> but uh, but then I I almost well, and I I actually mentioned I said you know if you talk to that professor, you got that high a grade on yeah, your final, probably. they'd probably bump you up to an A if Let's you send if you asked. To the professor. <laughs> no, but then I but then I she I also thought well no it's good for her to get a B yeah because. Then she's right. It does take the pressure off. She doesn't feel like she has to get all A's. I got one B per degree <laughs> isn't that weird yeah it is weird. like my associate i got one b yeah i didn't get any b's in grad school bachelor's no yeah but i mean my associate one b my bachelor's one b my master's my first master's one b my second master's one b <laughs> isn't that weird it is weird you know how many b's i got in my master's program <laughs> okay but how many did you get in your undergrad? oh god my undergrad was a mess oof I was like, a, my GPA for undergrad was 2.8 oh, something. See, yeah. Yeah, okay, so then what about your second master's degree? How many, <laughs> how many Bs did you get? So far, I've gotten zero Bs. <laughs> so. Yeah, okay. So there we go. Okay. You win. <laughs> you always win. It's okay. Oh, isn't that strange? It isn't. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it just is strange yeah. that it's just one B. I yep. know. But then uh, uh, Lou's good as well. She's uh, She's still doing great great artwork when you know oh my gosh she's She's so so, really talented like isn't it funny like she's gonna be the one who probably like will all wind up being homeless and she'll live in a mansion because she's just so (laughs) freaking talented when it comes to her artwork's just so incredible yeah i'm hoping to piggyback off of her her talent by having her do your artwork do some artwork for for the book for the novel i know so I know if we could just get her to be interested in something we're interested in instead of just her own. Yeah, right. Um, and then, yeah, your kids are good. Mariah's, yeah, Mariah's is killing it with... Yeah, she's kind of turned that whole yeah. Instagram thing into a career, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah, she uh, has. Hannah's doing great. She's, she seems like she's, like, the more you talk about her, the more it seems like she's in a really good mm-hmm. place mentally yeah. and... Yeah, she is. Yeah. She's doing well. Yeah. And then Joshua came and lived with me some this summer Mm -hmm. up in South Bend, and that was nice to really spend time with him and the dogs. It was nice for me to be able to come home and have him to hang out with. And then when he turned 21 up there, we went to that casino a few times, (laughs) and he taught me how to play blackjack, so Mm -hmm. that was fun. Yes. But and he's got. I mean, it's funny because he he has discipline when it comes to that. Right. It's. I mean, I still have that addictive brain to some degree. So, he would be like, "Okay, we're gonna go in with twenty dollars, and then we're gonna." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. We came out. And he's like, "See, I just I liked money too much." He 
he goes, I like money too much to be a gambler because I couldn't, I just wouldn't be able to let go of, to waste money like that. Mm-hmm. But I learned how to play blackjack and then we, uh, we just got a deck of cards and started playing cards at home and learned how to play poker. And nice. Yeah, it was, it was a fun time to kind of get to know each other. Some of those, that time that we lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's, he's doing well. Yeah. We've got good kids. They're good people. They're smart, good creative people. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's kind of where we are with things. Yeah. We've just both been really, really busy. We've <laughs> mm-hmm. been yeah. doing life fairly hard lately, it seems like. Long days, but yeah. yeah. It's but it's been good. Too. Right, yeah. The hospital, yeah, we opened another another floor. So we're at, um, gosh, we're getting ready to open the kids' unit. But we've got one, two, three three, four floors open. Mm-hmm. We're doing TMS and ketamine now. Well, Spravato. Yeah. By the way, um, what's the guy's name that just died? With the ketamine. Oh, Matthew Perry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He drowned because he was using a... Ketamine unsupervised. Ketamine unsupervised in a hot tub. He did not die because of ketamine. Ketamine right. does... is sedative. So... Yeah. But um, it's also doing, yeah, it's, it, you're right. I hope it doesn't get a bad name now because of that. Yeah, because, I mean, you feel like it was a very healing experience. Oh, yeah. I think it made a huge difference for me. For your mental health, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's unfortunate that that's being, that the headlines are saying those things. Yeah, well, <clears throat> and you never know how it's going to shake out. Hopefully, you know, people will step up who use ketamine therapeutically and and defend it you know rather than because i know in the what in the 60s when psychedelics were getting a bad name because they were they were being used recreationally and and mm-hmm. and so uh you know uh, uh researchers had to curb their use of them and that's that's you know set set us back a long way as far as the use of psychedelics for therapeutic purposes and Right. They're really powerful tools. I'd be ashamed to. Yeah, I think we're trending to the, you know, to the place where we're going to go back to that. I mean, that's where it seems like it's going. And and thankfully, you know, it's something that hopefully potentially in Indiana even we'll be able to start using. They're using it in other states, the psychedelics and yeah. the plant therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, decriminalizing yeah. using p- plants. right. I know. I, I, I don't know. And, and I mean, I friends and stuff uh, at work and, and other places who are constantly complaining about how every, every state around Indiana has legalized the use of uh, med- medical, if not recreational marijuana. And we're, we're going to be the last state. I mean, until... To do everything, yeah. yeah. Of course. And, until they decriminalize it federally, probably. When I was watching a documentary about, you know, the the just the decriminalization of plants. I mean, they're plants. Right. Everything's plants. Right. Um, it, it is kind of interesting that just the fact that it's just it's just plants. Mm-hmm. So herbs, different plants and herbs. And sure. It's kind of sad. I keep thinking about that document or the NPR thing that we just listened to and the dogs and the. Licking the dog's face to make him <laughs> vomit. Vomit. Yeah. I know that was that was interesting. It was this American Life uh, episode about 
fathers, but it was there was a story about wolves, and uh, and I learned why dogs eat their own vomit, which I always thought was uh, the grossest, most evolutionarily confusing thing I I've seen in animals, but it totally makes sense now because. Adult wolves can carry 20 pounds of meat in their stomachs and they can't carry that much back from a kill to their pups. So they carry it in their stomach and then when they get there, the wolf pups lick the face of the of the adult wolf to induce vomiting. So when dogs are licking our faces, they want us to vomit for them to <laughs> eat, eat it up, which is <laughs> gross, but it finally makes sense to me. I mean, it, it's gross and I don't want, the, I still don't want them to do it. <laughs> He's always like, why are you letting the dog lick your face? And then yeah. when he told me that, he'd been listening to NPR, and he's like, oh, guess what? I found out why the dog likes to lick your face. It wants you to throw up so it can eat. I'm going, oh, okay, you really didn't need and then And then, then what did I shift to? I wonder if I've been disappointing them all this time that I've not been willing to throw up and feed them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who knew... Dogs needed to be baby birded too. That's right. I feel like we're just not that exciting anymore. Oh, I feel we like were we never always, that exciting. We were never that exciting. No, we were never yeah, but that we exciting. always had so much more to talk about. <laughs> well, I mean, we had a lot more, <laughs> a lot more ish. drama, drama going on. Going on. Yeah, there's not a lot of drama. That's just which is a good place to be. You know, it's it's true. We we I guess I tell my patients that all the time. We've got to become comfortable with peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I yeah, I I haven't been going to Bible study not because I don't want to necessarily. It's just I've been traveling to see you or you're coming home mm-hmm. on Thursdays and then Saturday is like the day that we get to sleep in and enjoy each other and and so I haven't been going to that. Uh I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind going back. I mean we'll see what what the next few weeks bring. It's going to be interesting to see what the next month brings right i mean my mm-hmm. lease is up february 1st up in south bend yeah we're gonna have to move you our facilities and... opened like five different little access to care centers by the way i came up with that name hmm. um access to care centers across the state all the way down to like the Lulva area right across the you know, just on this side of the river yeah so they're little centers across the state just so people you know, have sort of a, a navigation, a facility to navigate them into health, you know, mental health services. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm going to be going to those facilities, just kind of helping build them up. So that way we've got more services across the state or, you know, I've been doing some work at the Indianapolis locations. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, or yeah. what I'll be doing. I don't know either, but I I know that you're you're too valuable to your company for them to. Let, I know you you constantly worry. Am I going to get fired? <laughs> and there's no way they're going to fire you. Well, it's funny because I was you. I was telling Kim and and Dee, it's like you know this was never my plan, right? To work with humans was never really my thing, and and so and obviously to. You know, I was I was I was never supposed to be living this life. This was never my plan. I was working with animals and I mean on the farm and this yeah. was just never my plan. So 
none of us are living our plan. Right. So it's like some days if I stub my toe that morning, it's like, okay, I'm done. Life's over. I'm, I'm giving up on everything. And I know sometimes at work when things just get overwhelming and when something happens, I just am like, all right, okay, this is the sign. This is the sign that I'm not supposed to be doing this. Now, there are thousands of signs that I'm supposed to be doing this. Uh There are thousands of people who say, (laughs) you know, if it wasn't for you, Uh I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have clicked or, and I know it's just God giving me the opportunity. You know, I feel like I'm just willing to be used and God is saying, okay, I'm going to trust you in this moment with this person that this grandmother has prayed for and you're in sacred space and so there are thousands of signs that say you're in the right place. You're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. But there's then, then it's yeah. just like it just takes one little thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. negative. It's always easier to remember the negative than the positive, you know? Yeah. And I'm just like, OK, I'm going to go and I'm going to go crawl under a rock and <laughs> go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so but it's it's good. It um, is. We're, we're I think we're in a good space. Mm-hmm. We are. We've focused on our mental health for the past six months. We've, yeah, you know, I've I've got a fabulous nurse practitioner, uh, Sean Goddard, and uh, at Viking Psychiatry, he's mm-hmm. cutting edge on everything, and he's just, I mean, he's brilliant, just brilliant. He has taken really good care of me, and and done it in a way. I mean, he's just, I, I can't say enough about him. If you, if anybody's in the Fort Wayne area, he's. He's just incredible. I mean, he looks at the science of everything. He looks at all the dynamics of it and has just, um, you know, been amazing. I'm at the best place I've ever been in my life, you know, mm-hmm. mentally, emotionally, yeah. um, you know, completely clean, you know, no alcohol, no, no anything. Just, just feel balanced and healthy and... And, you know, even though there are certainly bad days where I'm like, okay, I'm tired and I'm done, I'm, even in those situations, being able to handle them and just say, okay, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's time to step back and say, what am I willing to, what am I willing to negotiate here? What am I willing to put up with? What am I not willing to put up with? And what do I need to step away from? Um, getting away from the all or nothing thinking with it. Yeah. I haven't had suicidal ideations in months now. Good. Yeah, at all. And and you know, that's kind of the funny thing. So suicidal ideations have kind of been a part of my life since I was probably 6 years old. Mm. And and so I never thought about retirement. I never thought about things like that. And it's the first time in my life where I've thought Huh, I probably should balance my checkbook and think no. about a 401k and Right. It's kind of a nice Yeah. Yeah, shift in my life and Yeah. You were you were convinced the apocalypse was around, around Well, yeah, the part of that's conditioning, right? right. And times theology yeah. and all of that. But part of it also was was yeah, like I wasn't quite sure I would be here in the following week and and so it's been it's been nice. Yeah. It's been a nice to feel a little more what normal feels like, but also to be able to talk to patients and, yeah, be able to say that, you know, I know that healing is is possible. I've said that all along on my journey, but 
to actually feel a sense of not only is it is it possible and but the progression of it but then to actually be at a place where I'm like wow it you know I don't have a plan a b c d anymore I have a plan I'm going to live and I'm going to live a good life and yeah. you know I'm going to enjoy my life and it's a good place to be in it is indeed yeah mm-hmm. so yeah good well that was our check-in <laughs> yeah there's our check-in yeah, right uh yeah things are good um i don't know i guess we'll you know we'll pick this up again and maybe yeah i'll i'll uh keep talking about the whatever creative process i'm going through and you can talk about transitioning and from south bend to whatever the next stage is yeah 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 all right i love you i love you you're my favorite person you're my favorite person Mm -hmm. thank you guys everybody um we hope you're doing well yes and happy holidays happy holidays whatever those are for you yeah and if you don't have a happy holiday if you don't have a holiday just have a happy (laughs) yes (laughs) have a happy whatever yeah (laughs) we love you take care love you bye hey guys so this week um since i've been working on the novel so much uh i thought maybe uh would do the first scene um of the opening of the novel and just to give you a little taste of of what what I've been working on and and, and all that um, and I support that decision <laughs> a thousand percent because it's amazing yeah. and I'm excited for him to share it with all of you yeah uh, hopefully uh, you know it's just a little taste and it's uh, the, the novel is called uh, monster in a shoebox and uh, here here's a little little bit all right yeah. bye guys bye Monster in a Shoebox, Chapter 1, March 1986 Daniel The first night the creature showed up, Daniel lay quietly in bed, pretending at death. Well, not death so much as sleep, but Daniel always imagined his version must be close to death. This, after watching his father pick up a sleeping toddler, how their body had been so limp and lifeless, head tilted back, mouth hung open, every limb unloosed from thought. And Daniel, who'd only been four himself at the time, had been captivated by the expression on his dad's face. Some flash of awe in the eyes, and Daniel understood this was what sleep should look like to a parent, like death. And so he began to practice. There was no real reason for it. His parents weren't child abusers or anything. He'd only wanted to see if he could fool them to bear witness to that same moment of dumbstruck love on their faces and was delighted when he found that he could, head conveniently tilted, eyelids parted just enough to peek. Five years of practice, now he was an expert, a world-class guru of fake death. Daniel didn't do it every night, but he'd had trouble falling asleep most of the last year, so he did it a lot. And though it hadn't started as a way to avoid dealing with his mom and dad, it had saved him from a great many awkward moments. Those silences that stretched when his parents, either together or by themselves, came and haunted him with their hollowed-out stares, 
their quiet more unnerving than any whisper or shout might have been, and Daniel found it only bearable through cracked eyelids, with arms and legs fallen like a clip-stringed marionette, mouth thrown wide for long, slow breaths through the narrow space he left between the back of his tongue and the roof of his mouth. It was only then he could stand them aching for him to be all right when he couldn't possibly. Not yet. It was best, Daniel understood, to wait them out one by one while he lay so still, counting those careful breaths, nearly every night. Sometimes the fake deaths led straight into sleep, but Daniel often experienced them as their own kind of consciousness, a meditative state in which questions would drift in and out of his head and sometimes he would chase them. Was there life on other worlds? Would George Lucas ever make another Star Wars movie after Jedi? What would aliens really look and talk like? Would it hurt to get disintegrated and put back together when beaming up in Star Trek? Were there real gods? Who would win in a battle between Mr. Spock and Obi-Wan? Was this truly what death felt like? Yes, he was breathing, his heart still pounding slowly, but it was all so distant, unimportant. If this was what death was like, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. Or maybe he needed it to be not so bad, so he decided it had to be like this. Easy enough. With the question of death settled, Daniel was ready to debate the next one. Some inner critic pointed out it would be better if Spock fought a bad guy like Vader, but Daniel preferred two good guys fighting because he rooted for both of them. Besides, it was obvious Spock was screwed no matter who. If Obi or Vader fought with a lightsaber and all Spock had was a neck pinch that always immediately worked, but only if he was close enough to grab a shoulder, his Vulcan arm would be on the floor before he could tell Obi-Wan to live long and prosper. Plus, Star Trek didn't have the Force, big problem. All Spock had were phasers, and they'd just batted away with their... And that was when the creature showed up. Daniel's breath, long and steady, his thoughts boldly going a long time ago and far, far away, his arms and legs thrown with carefully canned, planned carelessness toward each corner of the mattress, head tilted so that he could still seem asleep as he looked deep into the sky, eyelids barely cracked, and he watched the thing flit into existence on the lip of his open window. One instant nothing, the next there. Daniel's breath caught in his throat, but otherwise he didn't flinch his mind still light years from the body that could touch the creature if he tried, but Daniel didn't. He just observed, small and man-shaped, maybe the size of an action figure. It was even wearing a little cloak, the face hooded in shadow, and Daniel wondered if maybe it wasn't just that, a Jawa he'd forgotten leaving out, but then it moved. No, it didn't move. Something around it did. Something was making the stars in the sky behind the tiny man disappear, then reappear, then disappear again, like it was inhaling the night and exhaling it back, gone, there, gone, regular as breath. Then Daniel saw them, wings, as big as the tiny man himself, only black, no blacker than the black between the stars, and now that his eye had caught it, he could see their outline written against the cosmos, folding and unfolding silently, so much like breath. And that's when Daniel knew he must be dreaming. He had fallen asleep and not known, and he nearly broke out of his meditative state, almost popped his eyes wide and sucked in a scream of breath, but paused just on the verge and felt a flash of certainty. If he did, he'd never see it again. And those six years of practicing death paid off as Daniel gently let his held breath out, then took another in his eyes still carefully narrowed, brow unfurrowed, limbs untwitched. 
He watched the little man watch him. Daniel's focus burrowed deep into the shadow of the cloak's hood, but the only sign of feature were two dim sparks of eye afloat in the black, framed by the fabric and steady beat of the inhaling, exhaling sky behind. Daniel waited for more of its face to appear, to hear a breath or sigh, for a nose or lips or a mouthful of fangs to drift out of that black, but nothing did, only those dim, almost not there sparks, shifting steadily as the creature tilted its head slowly from one side to the other. It stood watching him for another second or two, then turned, looked away and up, bent its legs and leapt into the night as fast as it had landed, one instant there and the next gone. Only then did Daniel move, back in his body like a snap, and before he knew it he was staring wide-eyed out the window, his knees and his pillow, fingers pinched white-knuckled on the sill, and his eyes, nose, mouth, every pore broken open wide to absorb whatever trace the creature might have left behind, but there was nothing. No blacker than night feather from a breath of wing, no alien scent on the spring night air, no footprints in the dust on the sill, no evidence at all that a thing hadn't been entirely in Daniel's imagination. But in his chest he stoked a fierce certainty. The winged creature had been real. It had to be. Daniel needed it to be. He needed to believe in magic one last time, no matter what the world insisted otherwise. The creature was real. And staring again at the cold, distant stars, he had to contain with one fist what might have been the first genuine laugh, the first real joy he'd felt in nearly a year since his last birthday, since the day she died. At the thought of her, everything seemed to close in tight, and he bore down on the laugh at his lips with all his strength, squeezed until it was barely a long exhale and a cold shudder. He closed his eyes her ghost pressing suddenly at the edges of the room, hers so much heavier than his parents earlier, how hers clung to him like theirs didn't and reminded him that happy was no longer a thing he was allowed to feel. He lay back down. He counted breaths and heartbeats, then counted again, then again. But neither sleep nor his meditative death returned to him, not really. Torn at turns by joy and the shame of joy, all of it roiling as another part of his mind worked coldly at what he would do, because Daniel was sure that the creature would return. It simply had to. And when it did, he was going to catch it. Daniel was patient. Over the next three nights, he continued to practice death. His first mom and then dad stumbled their way through tucked around the edges of him, but never enough to disturb, so he kept at his fiction and they their turns at suffering and sorrow, the kind they could let out when they thought no one was watching. And Daniel wasn't, not really. It was just a thing that happened, them standing over him and hurting, far in the background of counting and imagining different ways to capture the creature. There was the obvious birdcage, but Daniel was skeptical. First, he didn't know where he'd find a birdcage, nor how he might lure the creature in. Also, it was a tiny flying man who knew what it might be capable of. It had arms in those sleeves and probably hands at the ends of them, so Daniel wouldn't take a chance it could work a latch or bend bars. Or maybe it wasn't affected by bars at all. The thing looked like it might be made of night, those wings so black it shadowed, hood, dark. Maybe it could move through walls as easily as through air, and if that were the case, there was little he could do no matter what. Daniel fixated on wings and arms the second night. He lay motionless again, this time with his head at a better angle to get a direct line of sight from between his eyelids. 
The creature landed in the exact same spot as the night before, and this time Daniel didn't waste precious seconds trying to understand if it was real. First, the wings. They were as black as he'd remembered, but looking closer now, he caught some wavering at the edges like feathers riffling a little in the wind. That seemed good. If it was affected by the wind, maybe that meant it wasn't made of night and could be trapped. Next, the arms. They were folded in the hands if it had them at all. Daniel suddenly thought of large claws to match the dripping fangs he'd imagined beneath its hood were tucked into the robe's opposite sleeves. Anything could be up there, long-fingered hands, knives, talons, pincers, and at that thought Daniel reimagined what might lie in the shadows of the hood, mandibles pinching and squeezing, ready to grab and devour like the face of a praying mantis. Daniel shifted from arms to the dark hood just as it tilted its head like the night before, those two dim sparks now the reflection off two bulging, iridescent eyes at the tips of a triangular insect head as one went up and the other down. Daniel suppressed a shudder as it turned, squatted, and leapt into the night. Mixed news, then. Its wings looked feathered, and the feathers moved in the wind, so Daniel was sure he could think of a way to pin them. But the arms were still a mystery. They could be pinchy, stingy things in there. He'd have to think about that. The third night, Daniel timed its movements. He was fairly sure it had gone through the same motions both nights, so he hoped the third would be the same, and it was. Daniel counted the same as he did his breath, with heartbeats. The creature landed, exhale, one one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand, slow head tilt one thousand, inhale one thousand, six turn bend and leap one thousand. Daniel saw it all in his head then, after six, when it turned, just as it bent to leap away into the night. Its wings were back, it would be turned away from him, or away from his right hand at least. And that would be his chance. After that third visit, instead of pondering what might lie under hoods and up sleeves, Daniel continued to practice. Only this time, with every exhale and inhale, after the sixth heartbeat, and on the bend, his right hand shot up to just above the windowsill where his thumb and index ping finger pinched empty air. After nearly an hour, Daniel felt confident. Tomorrow night. Naked Conversations has been a mountain. I know, I always do it wrong. Has been a mountain loves the morning light productions. Ta da! Thank you. Love you guys. Love you. Bye.